Hi everyone, welcome back to the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast. In today's episode, we cover the topic of meconium ileus, found under the pediatric section at medbullets.com. Let's begin with a clinical snapshot. A two-day-old boy is brought to the emergency department by his mother after he became inconsolable with abdominal distension and has not vomited or passed his first feces. He was born to a 27-year-old woman via spontaneous vaginal delivery without any perinatal complications. The mother was not able to attend prenatal care visits to receive appropriate screening. An abdominal radiograph is performed, which demonstrates dilated loops of bowel without any evidence for perforation. A hyperosmotic contrast enema radiography is performed, and it confirms meconium ileus. A sweat test is subsequently done to work up for cystic fibrosis. Let's continue with an introduction to meconium ileus. Clinically, it is defined as a neonatal intestinal obstruction secondary to meconium within the lumen of the bowel that has become thickened. In terms of the epidemiology, remember that this can occur in approximately 20% of patients with cystic fibrosis. Risk factors include a family history of cystic fibrosis and meconium ileus, as well as a low birth weight. In terms of the pathogenesis, there is accumulated thickened meconium, which leads to obstruction in the bowel lumen, resulting in dilation of the proximal ileum wall and narrowing of the distal intestine. In terms of the genetics, the inheritance pattern of cystic fibrosis is an autosomal recessive disease. Mutations may occur in the gene CF transmembrane conductance regulator gene, or CFTR. Remember that the delta F508 is the most common mutation. This results in a deletion of one amino acid, phenylalanine to be specific, in the 508th position of this gene. There may also be a mutation in the protein encoded for CFTR protein, and conditions that are associated with meconium ileus or cystic fibrosis. Moving on to the presentation, symptoms may include failure to rectally pass meconium. On exam, one may note abdominal distension, palpable bowel loops, and patients may have visible peristaltic waves. In terms of further imaging, radiographs of the abdomen may be obtained. Specific findings may include dilated loops of bowel proximal to the obstruction, narrowed loops of bowel distal to the obstruction, and one may note abdominal calcifications. One can also perform a contrast enema. This is performed to confirm and treat meconium ileus when there is no evidence of perforation. Specific views include views of the abdomen, and specific findings include dilated bowel and a colon which may appear as a microcolon. In terms of further studies, labs may be performed which can include a sweat test after 48 hours of age in order to work up for cystic fibrosis. And in terms of the differential diagnosis, make sure to think about intestinal atresia, Hirschsprung disease, and volvulus. With regards to treatment, non-operative options include hyperosmolar enema, such as with gastrographin. This is a non-operative approach to treat meconium ileus, as this leads to breakdown of the thickened meconium, which clears the obstruction. This is typically performed in simple meconium ileus, but it can be used in complicated meconium ileus as well. Operative options include resection with enteroostomy or primary anastomosis. This can be used in cases of simple meconium ileus that does not clear with hyperosmolar enema, 
and this is typically performed in complicated meconium ileus. Complications related to meconium ileus include intussusception, segmental volvulus, intestinal perforation, and meconium peritonitis. And lastly, with regards to prognosis, remember that there is a low mortality risk after appropriate treatment of meconium ileus. Now that we've discussed the major points relating to meconium ileus, let's walk through some questions to apply what we've learned and get a sense of how the topic might be tested. For the first question, consider the following clinical scenario. A three-day-old boy is found to be restless with two episodes of green vomit. He was born at 38 weeks to a 26-year-old G2P0. The pregnancy was uncomplicated, and the mother received inconsistent prenatal care. The patient is feeding every two hours and urinating 10 to 11 times per day. The mother chose to terminate her first pregnancy due to genetic testing that was positive for Down syndrome. However, she chose not to perform genetic testing during this pregnancy. On physical exam, the patient is restless, but in no acute distress. His abdomen is firm and distended with hypoactive bowel sounds. Digital rectal exam reveals no stool in the rectal vault. An abdominal radiograph is obtained, which demonstrates dilated bowel loops proximal to stool impaction and deposity of air fluid levels. Which of the following is the most likely diagnosis? And the answer choices are Choice 1. Cystic fibrosis Choice 2. Duodenal atresia Choice 3. Hirschsprung disease Choice 4. Midgut volvulus Or choice 5. Pyloric stenosis The best answer to this question is Choice 1. Cystic fibrosis. This patient has signs of obstruction with abdominal distension, bilious vomit, and no stool in the rectal vault, and a failure to pass meconium. The abdominal radiograph demonstrates nonspecific dilated small bowel loops most consistent with meconium ileus secondary to cystic fibrosis. Cystic fibrosis may present as meconium ileus, which is an inability to pass meconium in the first 24 to 48 hours after birth. Due to mutations in the CFTR gene, which is an ion channel protein that conducts chloride ions across epithelial cell membranes, meconium in patients with CF becomes thickened due to improper ion transport, leading to increased viscosity and decreased water content. Patients present with signs of a distal small bowel obstruction, such as bilious vomit, abdominal distension, and no passing of meconium. Diagnosis of meconium ileus is typically made with an abdominal radiograph, which demonstrates dilated small bowel loops and a positive Neuhauser sign, which is a soap bubble appearance in the distal ileum due to air mixed with meconium. Patients are typically treated with an enema with a contrast agent, but more severe cases, such as with intestinal perforation or volvulus, require surgery. Later in life, patients with cystic fibrosis develop obstructive lung disease, impaired pancreatic and biliary secretion, and infertility. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 2. Duodenal atresia is the result of failed recanalization of the duodenum during development. Patients present with signs of obstruction, delayed meconium passage, and vomiting. Duodenal atresia is associated with Down syndrome, and abdominal radiographs demonstrate the double bubble sign. Choice 3. 
Hirschsprung disease is a condition characterized by an aganglionic colon segment, which fails to relax, causing functional intestinal obstruction. Patients typically present with failure to pass meconium, but rectal exam would demonstrate a tight anal sphincter and explosive discharge of stool and gas. Abdominal radiographs in Hirschsprung disease demonstrate dilated colon, not small bowel, immediately proximal to the aganglionic region. Choice 4. Midgut volvulus is characterized as the twisting of a loop of bowel on its mesentery, causing intestinal obstruction. Patients present with signs of obstruction, such as abdominal pain, distension, and bilious vomiting, or signs of bowel ischemia, such as tachycardia, hypotension, hematochesia, and peritonitis. Neonates with intestinal malrotation are at risk of developing midgut volvulus, which will demonstrate the corkscrew sign, a spiral appearance of the distal duodenum and proximal jejunum, on fluoroscopy. Remember that abdominal radiographs are typically normal. Choice 5. Pyloric stenosis is characterized by hypertrophy of the pyloric sphincter in the first few months of life. Patients typically present with a gastric outlet obstruction between three to five weeks of life. On physical exam, an enlarged non-tender pylorus may be palpable in the epigastrium, and abdominal ultrasound demonstrates an elongated and thickened pylorus. Finally, a bullet summary. The first sign of cystic fibrosis may be meconium ileus, which is the inability to pass meconium in the first 24 to 48 hours, and appears as dilated small bowel loops on abdominal radiographs. For the second question, consider the following clinical scenario. A three-day-old male is evaluated in the neonatal intensive care unit for failure to pass meconium. The patient is otherwise doing well and feeding every two hours. He is also urinating eight to 10 times per day. The patient has had two episodes of vomiting that were described as green in color. He was born at 39 weeks gestation to a 38-year-old gravita 3. The pregnancy was uncomplicated, and the patient's mother received routine prenatal care. She declined prenatal testing for cultural reasons. One of the patient's older siblings has Down syndrome. On physical exam, the patient is in no acute distress. His abdomen is firm, non-tender, and distended with hypoactive bowel sounds. Digital rectal exam fails to relieve the obstruction. An abdominal radiograph is performed, which demonstrates dilated loops of bowel and a soap bubble appearance of meconium mixed with bowel gas in the right lower quadrant. Which of the following is the best next step in management? And the answer choices are Choice 1. Abdominal CT Choice 2. Contrast enema Choice 3. Upper gastrointestinal series Choice 4. Rectal suction biopsy Or choice 5. Sweat testing The best answer to this question is Choice 2. Contrast enema This patient presents with delayed passage of meconium, bilious emesis, unsuccessful disimpaction on digital rectal exam, and dilated loops of bowel on abdominal radiographs, which suggest a diagnosis of meconium ileus. The best next step in management is enema with water-soluble contrast, which may be both diagnostic and therapeutic. Meconium ileus presents with bilious emesis and failure to pass meconium in the first 48 hours of life. Abdominal radiographs typically demonstrate dilated loops of small intestine proximal to the obstruction. 
enema with water-soluble contrast, such as gastrographin, is both diagnostic and therapeutic, as the contrast not only visualizes a microcolon, but also relieves the obstruction via osmotic pool of water into the lumen of the colon. Surgery may be necessary if contrast enema fails. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 1. Abdominal CT should be avoided in pediatric patients due to radiation exposure. Choice 3. Upper gastrointestinal series is the diagnostic test of choice of intestinal malrotation, which may also present with bilious vomiting. However, malrotation is less likely to present with delayed passage of meconium, and abdominal radiographs would more likely demonstrate a midgut volvulus. Choice 4. Rectal suction biopsy is the most accurate test to diagnose Hirschsprung disease, which may present like meconium ileus with bilious vomiting, delayed passage of meconium, and dilated loops of bowel on abdominal radiographs. However, digital rectal exam typically temporarily relieves the intestinal obstruction in Hirschsprung disease and produces an expulsion of gas in stool, sometimes called the squirt sign. Choice 5. Sweat testing is used to diagnose cystic fibrosis which is strongly associated with meconium ileus. However, enema with water-soluble contrast would be the best next step to both confirm the diagnosis and relieve the obstruction. The patient should subsequently undergo sweat testing. Finally, a bullet summary. The best next step in management of meconium ileus after abdominal radiograph is enema with water-soluble contrast, such as gastrographin, to both confirm the diagnosis and relieve the obstruction. For the third question, consider the following clinical scenario. A three-day-old boy is brought to the pediatric emergency room by his parents for a failure to pass stool since birth. His parents have also noticed increased spit-ups of breast milk. The child was born at home at 40 weeks of gestation to a 32-year-old woman via an uncomplicated spontaneous vaginal delivery with the assistance of a midwife. His mother received intermittent prenatal care. His temperature is 98.6 degrees Fahrenheit. Blood pressure is 75 over 40. Pulse is 120 beats per minute. Respirations are 41 breaths per minute. And oxygen saturation is 98% on room air. Physical exam is significant for abdominal distension. An abdominal radiograph is performed, which demonstrates dilated bowels of loop proximal to the site of obstruction. A sweat chloride test is performed and demonstrates a sweat chloride level of 85 with the normal range being less than 60. Which of the following is the most likely diagnosis? And the answer choices are, choice one, fibrosing colonopathy, choice two, Hirschsprung disease, choice three, intussusception, choice four, malrotation, or choice five, meconium ileus. The best answer to this question is, choice five, meconium ileus. This patient who received poor prenatal care and presents with the failure to pass stool since birth, vomiting, and abdominal distension likely has meconium ileus. The abdominal radiograph demonstrates dilated small bowel loops, and the abnormal sweat chloride test is indicative of cystic fibrosis, confirming the diagnosis. Meconium ileus is caused by obstruction of the terminal ileum with inspissated meconium. It most commonly occurs in patients with cystic fibrosis, up to 10% of neonates with cystic fibrosis present initially with meconium ileus. It presents clinically with a failure to pass meconium, abdominal distension, and vomiting. Plain film abdominal radiography is generally nonspecific, 
but will usually demonstrate dilated small bowel loops. The diagnosis can be secured by a hyperosmotic contrast enema, which will demonstrate a point of obstruction in the terminal ileum and may show meconium pellets. All patients with meconium ileus should also receive testing for cystic fibrosis with sweat testing or genetic testing. Initial treatment consists of nasogastric decompression and correction of fluid and electrolyte abnormalities. Subsequent definitive treatment can be non-operative with a hyperosmolar enema or operative with enterotomy with lavage, double enterostomy, or resection of affected bowel. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 1. Fibrosing colonopathy is a severe fibrotic process associated with intestinal strictures in patients with cystic fibrosis who take large doses of pancreatic enzyme replacement therapy. This condition is rare today due to decreased pancreatic enzyme replacement therapy dosing and would not be expected in a patient not currently taking this regimen. Choice 2. Hirschsprung disease presents with vomiting, constipation, and delayed stool passage with meconium. Patients may exhibit forceful expulsion of stool after a rectal exam. Hirschsprung disease typically presents with a transition point in the colon, not in the terminal ileum. Furthermore, Hirschsprung disease is not associated with cystic fibrosis. Choice 3. Intussusception is occasionally found in patients with cystic fibrosis. It usually presents with colicky pain, vomiting, a palpable abdominal mass, and rectal bleeding. On radiography, one may occasionally see an elongated soft tissue mass with proximal bowel obstruction. Choice 4. Malrotation presents with vomiting, distension, and abdominal tenderness. Malrotation is not associated with cystic fibrosis. Plain film abdominal radiography is usually unremarkable, although malrotation may sometimes be complicated by volvulus. Finally, a bullet summary. Meconium ileus presents in patients with cystic fibrosis with the lack of meconium, abdominal distension, and radiographic evidence of dilated small bowel loops. That's all for this review about meconium ileus. We hope that was helpful. This is the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast, a daily audio review session for MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. As a reminder, you can follow along with these podcast episodes by reviewing the topics directly on MedBullets.com. You can listen to these episodes on the MedBullets website or phone app while reading through the topic. If the MedBullets podcast has been valuable to you, we'd be thrilled if you consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here, on the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast.